Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Super excited about today's episode. One of the things that comes up a lot in the 12 Weeks to Transformation in terms of questions and struggles and need for improvement is relationships. And I don't mean just romantic relationships. In fact, while that comes up a lot, relationships with parents and siblings comes up a ton. Relationships with colleagues and coworkers comes up a ton. And I wanted to dedicate this entire episode to one of the relationship topics that comes up most frequently, and that is how can I stop taking things so personally, or how can I stop caring so much about what other people think? Guys, this can be paralyzing, and I think the worst part of it is, well, it's a toss-up. One really rough side effect of taking things so personally and really putting a lot of stock in what other people think is that it can keep you in a very small box. It can paralyze you and prevent you from doing the things you want to do. And then as troubling, it can really damage relationships. And it breaks my heart because I see this basically every day in my work with clients, every single day relationships with siblings, relationships with romantic partners, relationships at work, absolutely suffering because we take things personally. And when people ask this, like, how do I stop taking things so personally? Or how can I stop caring what other people think? I really do not believe that the goal is to stop caring. I do not think that we should aspire to care less. What the goal is, from my perspective is to become more rational, more mature, and more measured in how we respond to the actions and inactions of other people. I think people get this confused and they believe that people who seem unfazed or bold or like they just don't get their feathers ruffled very often, that it means they don't care. And they want to be that emotionally resilient. They see these people who seem unfazed. They assume that they just don't care what other people think. And they want that because what they desire is that emotional resilience to not be constantly knocked off kilter by what somebody said or did or didn't say or didn't do or what you think that they might think or what you think that they might say to you or about you. That emotional resilience, though, that we can see in other people and admire It doesn't come from not caring. It comes from improving your response to things. So let me give you an example. When we announced, and I think it was in December that I announced this to my fall 12 Weeks to Transformation clients, when I announced that the 12 weeks would be available moving forward as a self-study, 
after we had said in the summer that it was the last 12 weeks. And, and it was because I'm not doing the 12 weeks in the same way. We cut the price by 68% and it is a self-study, which means it's more accessible to you. You have more time to go through it. You can go through it at your own pace. If you get kind of distracted by life, you have more time with it. Anyway, we announced that and one person out of several hundred reached out to say she was very upset, very angry. She said things like, I I remember specifically she used the word duped. She felt like she had been duped, that we lied about the 12 weeks going away, and she felt that it was bait and switch. Now, I care very much about any client's perspective, and I care about all feedback, even when I think the delivery kind of blows. And this didn't upset me right? I I didn't love the delivery. I think it could have been done differently. I would have personally done it differently. But it didn't upset me. I do care. Caring doesn't mean that we get upset or we take things personally. Just like not getting upset and not taking things personally doesn't mean that we don't care. There are a few tools that I use that I practice and I have nowhere near mastered this. Fortunately, through marriage, through family, through business, I have, pract- I have opportunities to practice every single day, and the beautiful thing is you do too. So let me share with you a few of those tools, and I'll, I'll use this and a few other examples as well. The first practice that I go to when I feel that like, are you kidding me? They said what? They said this. They did that. They didn't do this. The first practice is, let me put myself in their shoes. What perspective do they likely have in order to feel this way? Can I understand why they're saying this, doing this, not saying this, not doing this? Can I empathize? When we do that, and we often skip this part and we go right to our perspective and how their perspective doesn't match our perspective, but when we do this, when we put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and say, what must they be thinking or how must they be feeling to, to respond this way? I can see where there are likely misconceptions and miscommunications, right? So when I ask myself, like, what must she be thinking or feeling in order to have the perspective that she's been duped, uh, that this was a bait and switch? And she even said one of the things in her email that, that we had lied and we knew ahead of time that we would launch a self-study. Well, This is just a miscommunication. This is a misunderstanding. We didn't know ahead of time. It was in response to hundreds, if not over a thousand people reaching out when we said that the fall was the last 12 weeks to transformation and saying, is there any way that I can just purchase the challenges or the identity journal or get the daily coaching audios? Or is there some way that you can just make this available for us to go through on our own? And I love getting suggestions from you guys about anything, honestly, whether it's about breaking barriers or it's about the 12 weeks or it's about podcast topics or something you want to hear about on social media. That is the heart of my business. You are the heart of my business. And so I totally can understand if she has the perception that we knew we would do this ahead of time, that she would feel like we should have, we should have said that. Now, I had said we did it in response to, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't think we were being squirrely or sketchy or whatever. 
that's not my personality, but she doesn't know my personality. I don't know if she just, she could have stumbled upon Primal Potential the day before she signed up for the fall session, for all I know. Some of you guys have been around forever, and I think you you know that I am brutally honest about how and why we make decisions. But when we ask that question, like, let me put myself in their shoes, what perspective might make them feel this way? All of a sudden, things become so much more clear. And then when it's a misunderstanding or an assumption or a misconception, we can clear that up. So I did. She was still mad. <laughs> she was still mad. And when I clear, I, I, I sort of thought, oh, if I clear this up and explain, you know, and just say it again in a different way, that will alleviate this. And it didn't. And when the email came back and she was still angry, I was kind of like, yikes, like, okay. But that's not where the practice ends. Then we don't go to, well, she sucks, you know? No. Am I making this, this action, this inaction, these words, what wasn't said, am I making this about me or am I making it about the other party? How can I make it less about me? How can I make it less about me? For example, a friend doesn't invite you to something. You hear about it after. This is, (laughs) you know, I think about, gosh, what would it have been like if Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or any of those things existed when I was in like middle school? Because I know I was the kid that didn't get invited to basically anything, right? I was kind of the like fat, fairly unpopular kid. I played on sports teams, so I had some like loose friendships because of that, but I didn't have the click, the close friends that most other people had. But there was no forum where it was like blasted in my face. And this happens with adults too, but I often think about it in terms of like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that there was no Facebook or Instagram or whatever when I was a a younger kid because, (laughs) I mean, middle school was tough. It would have been way tougher had there been social media. But I see this with adults too. You see that your friends all got together for something and like you didn't even know about it. You totally weren't invited. I mean, that happens, that happens constantly. That happens to everybody, no matter how many great friends you have or you don't have. And I actually hear this from people a lot that people get their feelings hurt about this. So in this kind of example, am I making it about me or am I making it about the other person? If you make it all about you, of course you're going to be hurt. You're going to be bummed, any number of other things. Make it about them. There's no rule that says they have to invite you to everything. There's not anybody who gets invited to everything. Did you establish that as a condition of your friendship, that you would be included in absolutely everything? Or is that just kind of a hope that you had that's never really been communicated? And how do you feel about saying that to this friend? Hey, you know, since we're friends, to me, that means that you invite me to everything you do. You probably wouldn't say that because you know that that's not realistic. Yet when we aren't being particularly rational or we aren't being as mature as we could be, that's when we go to like, I can't believe that I didn't know about this. But if I were to say to you, well, are you willing to say to this friend or to say to your sister or whoever it was, hey, you know, since we're friends, I I just, I'd love to be included in everything you do. I would bet that 99% of you are like, no, I would never say that because I don't have to be included in everything they do. And when we when we use these tools, it takes the sting away. Sure, it doesn't mean that you don't wish you weren't invited. Maybe you still do. Of course, that makes sense. But it all of a sudden becomes a whole lot more rational and a whole lot less 
emotional. Make it less about you. Make it more about them. This is part of being a grown-up. How about you be more concerned with, what'd you guys do? Did you have fun? Make it about them and their experience and so, instead of being so much about you and your feelings. One of my friends uh, years ago in the Primal Potential Masters Club, this is probably, gosh, time flies, but maybe like three years ago, she shared a practice that I still remember and I still use very regularly. And that is find a way to make the other person right. Find a way to make the other person right. Now, I am not saying that there's always a right and always a wrong because honestly, that designation of somebody having to be right and somebody having to be wrong is probably 90% 90 of the problem. But this is a great practice in perspective. Find a way to make the other person right. I do this in my marriage more often than I care to admit. For example, and if you listen to the Q&A episodes, you've probably heard me talk about this, or if you've been part of the 12-week self-study and listened to those coaching calls, this comes up quite a bit, um, my practices in my marriage and how I use these tools, not just for things like budgeting and building a business and staying on track with my fitness goals or whatever, but, but in my marriage. So here's the way this works, finding a way to make the other person right. If I cook, Chris does the dishes. That's just an agreement that we have. He's happy to do it. He doesn't like to do them right after dinner. He likes to do them before he goes to bed. And I don't really like that as much. (laughs) I would prefer them to be done right after dinner. The funny part about it is I'm not even in the kitchen to like see if they're done or not. (laughs) You know, like I, it's not like I'm hanging out in the kitchen staring at a sink full of dirty dishes. It's not that way at all. When I find myself thinking, why can't you just take five minutes and do them right now? I practice this, find a way to make him right. And this is often what it looks like. They're easier to clean if they've soaked for a while. He still does them. We're not arguing over whether or not he'll do them. He's happy to do them. Let him do them in his own time. And it's super emasculating to treat him like a child and scold him to do it my way. I remember hearing this advice um, Gosh, it must have been when I was pregnant with Dagny. I think I think it was when I was with the Masters Club. Um, I announced my pregnancy to them first. And uh, on the five-year, I think, anniversary of Primal Potential, which was also my birthday. Anyway, somebody told me, like, if he changes a diaper and he doesn't do it the way I do it or the way I think it should be done, just let him do it. Because if I'm constantly like, no, do it like this or do it like that, he's not going to want to participate. He's, he's, I mean, obviously like who would? Um, and I think of things like the dishes is the same way. It's just emasculating to act like I rule the roost and you've got to do it my way. It's, it's like treating like a kid. So when I'm in this practice of finding a way to make him right, how would I feel if he was trying to get me to do things his way? I would make for a very problematic relationship. And when I choose that perspective, right? Initially, my perspective is, why can't you just take five minutes and do them now? This is not that complicated. When I find a way to make him right, it's like him waiting to do them before dinner or before bed. It's completely fine. And me trying to force him to do it the way I want it to be done, it's kind of messed up. I was like super messed up. That's not the kind of wife I want to be. That's not kind of the kind of relationship I want to be. That's not how I would want to be treated. Find a way to make them right. Even in that example of the client who was very upset that we announced the 12 weeks being available as a self-study, even though it's 68% less 
than it was before it was a self-study. Anyway, finding a way to make her right. If I really think about it in terms of, okay, she's mad. I think it's a miscommunication. I tried to explain better, eliminate the miscommunication. She's still mad. How can I find a way to make her right? She wishes she had known it would be a future option. I get that. I bet everybody who went through the fall session or any previous session wishes that they knew that someday it would be available at 68% less you know, of a price. All the people who emailed after the fall session started being super upset that they missed the last 12 weeks to transformation, I bet they all wish that they had known that in a few months it would be available as a self-study for far less money. Of course, I get that. It makes total sense. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to refund her, right? But I gain a lot and I improve my response and I improve my emotional resilience when I can find a way to make her right. I still have the freedom in terms of how I respond, but it's very balancing. And it's, to, to be blunt, it's a practice of emotional maturity. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't desire a bit more emotional maturity in tough moments. And that's what it's a practice in emotional maturity. Another strategy that... Um, that I use to not take things personally. Do I have all the facts? And does this other person have all the facts? Do I have all the facts? Does this other person have all the facts? Now, in the example with that client, I don't know what kind of financial hardship she might be experiencing. I don't know what her day was like. Maybe she just had the worst day ever. She's in a fight with her partner. Like, I don't, I don't know what was going on in her mind, in her life, in her emotional state when she got this email and this news. Like it could have been that her, you know, most of us are kind of on a regular day, we have this emotional baseline. But have you ever had one of those days where like you slept in, you ran out of coffee, you forgot your lunch and you lost your credit card at Target and then you come home and your spouse was supposed to start dinner, but they're on the couch watching TV. Typically, that might not set you off. But on this day, like your emotional baseline is just a lot higher because of other things that have happened. I don't know what those situations were in her day, right? Do I have all the facts? No, I don't. Does she have all the facts? No, she doesn't. And the truth is, in relationship, rarely will everybody have all the facts. So, when we take that perspective and we remind ourselves of that, when we ask ourselves like, hmm, do I have all the facts about what's going on with them? No. Did they have all the facts about what was going on with me? No. It kind of creates a lot more grace on both sides of the equation. And I'll get real, real, real with you guys. And this might personally backfire on me, but I think it's important to talk about this kind of stuff. So as most of you guys know, the majority of my family did not come to my daughter Dagny's funeral because of fears around COVID. Her funeral was in March of 2020. If you remember, that was kind of like a real, um, when everything started to shut down. Now that was and is super hard for me, super hard for me. I can understand the reasons and it's still super hard. Now then months and months and months went by. In fact, it's been... 10 months or so, I still haven't seen the majority of my family that I consider local, right? The majority of them are within 60 to 90 minutes of me. 
So it's not like when I lived in North Carolina and they were 15 hours away. They're like an hour, an hour and a half away. I still haven't seen the majority of them due to COVID. And a couple months after the funeral, a family member that I hadn't seen because of COVID posted a picture of a kid's birthday party that she was at. Um, and, you know, all I saw was like this quick little picture. Two of the adults in the picture weren't wearing masks. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see everybody, obviously, that was there. Um, they were outside. And my initial reaction was like deep pain, deep pain. Because of the stories that I created. All I saw was this picture. But in a matter of seconds, and I think we can all relate to this, I created this story that like, okay, my daughter died and it's been two, two and a half months. And like, it's not, it's not safe for you to stand outside with me, but it is safe for you to stand outside with them. And you know how we can just go there very quickly. But what I recognized is going there like that felt really, really bad. Like I said, deep pain. I can't even really put words to it because it wasn't, I wasn't angry. I was like wounded, you know, because while my mom, my sister have been present since Dagny died, I, I grew up in a, a big Catholic family and we've had loss. And that loss, you know, I, I learned from a very young age that loss means you are surrounded by family and that they show up and they stay. Like, you know, my, my mom lost my dad. My aunt lost her husband. You know, we lost my grandfather. We lost all these people. And so from a very young age, the connection for me was, if you are grieving, you will be surrounded. And then when I lost a child, super unexpectedly, comparatively, there was nobody. So I, I, I see this picture and I go to this story. It felt so bad. So then I asked myself, do I have all the facts? And I don't. I don't know where it was. I don't know what they did or didn't do. I don't know how they rationalize doing that. I don't know how they rationalize seeing me or not seeing me or if there are other factors in play, right? And, and they're likely, there are always other factors in play. I can make tons of assumptions, but they don't help me because those assumptions can come fine. Like, okay, that's all right, but coming here isn't. But one of the facts is, I don't know where that party was. It could have been in their backyard. It could have been at a park next door. I live... 60 to 90 minutes away from that person and the birthday party, you know, may or may not have been a lot closer. But I practice these. Do I have all the facts? No, I don't. Okay, so let's not create stories because there's just a lot I don't know. I can get the facts or I can choose not to get the facts. But do I have all the facts? I do not. There are more facts that I don't have than facts that I do have. Does it remove the pain? Not always. Does it lessen it? almost always, right? I practice these things. Let me put myself in their shoes. Let me try to see this from their perspective. Yeah, I have my shoes and I have my perspective, but that doesn't make anything better. That doesn't make anything easier. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be hurt. Can I put myself in their shoes? How can I make this other person right at that moment, I didn't have their perspective. I didn't have all the facts. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Another tool that I use is what assumptions am I making? 
What assumptions am I making? Because if you haven't read the book, The Four Agreements, read it. It's a quick read. It's a powerful one. One of the four agreements is make no assumptions. And this is huge. It is also hard. I haven't mastered it. It is a practice that I work on every single day. What assumptions am I making? And in that moment, to be honest, I was making the assumption that that family member and their family members didn't care enough to make the drive here, even in my like most painful season of life, but they did care enough to go to this other thing. Well, that's a pretty huge assumption because outside of anger, I know that they love me enough to fly to the moon. So there's something else going on, which reminds me that I don't have all the facts. What assumptions have I made? What have I added to the facts? What's the difference here between the facts and my feelings, my projections, my insecurities? And guys, it's not always like something big happens with a family member. Sometimes it's we don't wear this outfit because we think that the other person that we're going to see is going to think our arms look too big or our hips look too wide or our stomach rolls are too obvious or whatever it is. Use these practices there. What assumptions am I making? You're assuming they notice. You're assuming they care. You're assuming they judge you negatively. You're assuming that they're making assessments of how you look instead of just being grateful to spend time with you. You're assuming that they see you through the lens of your own insecurities. Chances are they probably aren't. Okay, and let me, let me share with you something that blew my mind. When I got on Instagram just before the start of Primal Potential, I used to share these pictures from, of me at my heaviest. You might have seen them. There's one of me in a pink t-shirt and I was probably like 320, 330 pounds at the time. My hair is a mess. Like I have four chins. I mean, it's a huge, huge picture. Um, there are a few other ones that I've, that I've put out there. And um, I remember when I put them out on social media, members of my family were like, I don't remember you ever looking like that. And the funny thing to me about that was I looked that way for for most of my life. Like I was always very, very, very heavy. What do you mean that you don't remember me looking like that? Like every time I showed up, I looked like that. I mean, maybe I had my hair brushed. Maybe I had some mascara on, but like I was every bit of 350 pounds, you know? They didn't see me through my insecurities. I remember my aunt saying to me, I just think of like your smile. I think of like how, you know, you've always had beautiful hair. You've always had these bright eyes. You've always had, you know, the smile with the, my family just like has a, um, we all have big, big white teeth. (laughs) And uh, she's like, it's your teeth. It's your smile. It's your hair. Like, that's what I think of. I don't, when you post these pictures, it's actually, it's actually hard for me to, to like, acknowledge that was you because I never saw you that way. And I'm like, but you, you did. Like, in fact, there's one picture where I'm like, you, you actually saw me on that day. Like you were, you were there, you were in the kitchen. There's this picture of me, um, again, over 300 pounds, probably not close to 350, but over 300 pounds. And I'm in my mom's kitchen with my mom. My aunt was there. And I remember her being like, I don't remember you ever looking like that. I share that because sometimes we don't want to go to this get together because we don't have any clothes that we feel like we look good in or this isn't flattering or or whatever it is, you are assuming that other people are viewing you through your own insecurities. And they're probably not. But the reality is you don't know either way. 
And these assumptions, I said at the top of the show, they can cause us to live a life that is super, super, super small. What assumptions am I making? What have I added to the facts? What is the difference between the facts and how I'm feeling about my interpretation of the facts? A few months ago, um, this was actually Halloween time this past year, Chris went to a Halloween party at a friend's house. Friends that we know, he's known them since childhood. I've known them since you know, literally the moment I started dating Chris. Um, married couple, we hang out with them. And it started late and I was pregnant and everything, of course. So I decided not to go. I wanted to be in bed at nine, not heading out to a party at nine. I would have fallen asleep probably on a chair in the first 15 minutes. And I wasn't going to be drinking. And it was a no kids, Halloween, you know, let loose kind of thing. I knew there would be drinking. I am a nut. If you don't know this about me, I am a nut about drinking and driving. My dad died in a car accident where alcohol was a factor. So I am admittedly crazy about drinking and driving. So I said to Chris, and I, I say this all the time, he knows it, but I'll continue to say it until the day I die. Um, if you drink and drive, we're done. <laughs> like, I don't play. That is a deal breaker for me. He knows it. He wouldn't do it. I'll continue to say it. Um, that's just the way it is. And he responded. He was like, I know I can crash at their house, which has happened a number of times. Like this is the house where, you know, they, they, they host parties, people sleep there, like no big deal, right? So I go to bed. I wake up around 2 a.m. He's not home. I text him. I fall back asleep. I wake up about an hour later. He hasn't texted back. I call. No answer. I text again. I fall back asleep. And this continues until about 7 a.m. He's still not home. Still haven't heard from him. And I'm starting to get this mix of like worried and angry, you know? <laughs> and this is this is where the practice comes in because, you know, the worried, angry is like, he didn't text, he didn't call. I don't know if he's dead on the side of the road. Okay, let's be a little bit mature, a little bit. <laughs> let's be emotionally sober. We both knew he'd be drinking. I told him not to drink and drive. He told me he could crash at their house. I have an expectation that he would text or call, but that wasn't part of our conversation last night. And if I'm really worried, I don't have to sit here and wonder. They live 10 minutes away. I can drive over there, <laughs> see if his truck is there. If it's not there, then, then I can worry. Then I can panic. Then we can, you know, go to the next level. So that's what I did. I got in my car. I drove. His truck was there. No big deal. I figure, you know, he's obviously sleeping it off. When he got home, he actually texted me shortly thereafter. I was like, I'm on my way home. Uh, we had a conversation about, look, just, just text, just call. Like I'm going to crash here. No big deal. And this has happened like, uh, twice. This was the second time since I've known him. So it's not like this is a regular thing, but I practice. Let me put myself in his shoes. He told me that he would be drinking. He told me he could crash there. He knew not to drink and drive, right? Like he was doing exactly what I had asked him to do. And it's no big deal. He's fine. He was at his friend's house. We've now made it a little bit more clear, a little bit more explicit, just to text or call. But when we put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, when we practice this emotional sobriety, when we ask better questions and slow down a little bit, sometimes we go so quickly to the reaction, to the fear, to the insecurity, to the assumptions on assumptions on assumptions on assumptions that something that could be 
very quickly resolved or avoided altogether becomes this huge dramatic thing. And we all will have infinite numbers of opportunities to practice this emotional sobriety, being a little bit more mature. This is what becoming a better thinker looks like. This is why I'm so passionate about it, because it's not just we want to be a better thinker when we're like, hmm, I want a little something after dinner. Yeah, we want to be a better thinker in those moments. We want to be a better thinker when we're coming up with the excuses like, I'll start tomorrow and this one thing won't hurt. But the value of becoming a better thinker touches every single area of life. Our romantic relationships, our professional relationships, our relationship with ourselves. It's really why the 12 weeks to transformation is what it is. Because when we practice these skills, and today we're talking about in relationships, but honestly, Most of these questions can be used in our conversations with ourselves about decisions we're making. What assumptions have I made? Do I have all the facts? All of this stuff, it makes every aspect of life better. The problem is when we talk about being a little bit more mature or practicing emotional sobriety or becoming a better thinker, where a lot of people get stuck is, how? I don't know how to do that. Like, I get it. It sounds like it was it's important. I can see how that would improve other areas of my life. But day to day, when I'm in a fight with my spouse or when I'm making a decision about dinner or when I get an email that, you know, rubs me the wrong way, I don't know how to practice it there. And that's what the 12 Weeks to Transformation is all about. And that's why when people go in, I would say about 50% of people go in with the goal for weight loss, but other people have goals related to money or career or relationships. But that's why when they go through the challenges in the 12 weeks, they're like, yeah, not only did I start eating better and working out more regularly, but I started meditating. I saved more money. I've gotten out of debt. I'm taking this new step to create an additional stream of income. And my marriage is better than it's ever been. And my kids say that I am happier, right? Because when we become a better thinker and we break it down into these simple daily practices and these questions to help us slow down and grow up a little bit, be a little bit more mature, everything changes. Everything changes. So I mentioned it a couple of times, but I just want to reiterate it that while in the past, the 12 weeks to transformation was like $1,500, you could only get in three or four times a year. And oftentimes it was full by the time people tried to join. Now it is less than half the price. It's like 70% less expensive. It's a self-study. You have a full year to go through it instead of the 12 weeks. It's at your own pace. The challenges, the daily coaching audios, the Solution Central stuff, all of that is available to you. And you can find that at primalpotential.com forward slash register. Or if you have questions about it, just let me know and I'm happy to, to weigh in. But in the meantime, guys, When we talk about, you know, how can I take things less personally? How can I stop caring so much about what other people think? The goal is not to stop caring. The goal is to become more rational, more mature, more measured in how we respond, which stems from becoming a better thinker. And so everything we talked about today, use these as practices. Write these questions down. 
Even if you're using them twice a week, great. If you're using them twice a day, even better. But write these questions down so that the next time you are insecure, your feathers are ruffled, you're pissed off at somebody, you feel like your feelings have been hurt, whatever it is, you use these questions. And the more you use them, the more power they have to change your life. Make it a great day. I'll chat with you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, where our goal is not to help you learn. Our goal is to help you change. This is a year of action. Take something you learned from this episode and put it into action in your life today. To learn more about working more closely with me and the Primal Potential team, please visit primalpotential.com forward slash transform.